about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. The 2022 college football season has begun, and our beloved Notre Dame Fighting Irish are taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes at Ohio State this Saturday. 17 and a half point dogs, biggest game in a long time. These two teams don't have much history, but we don't care for each other. I'm Dylan, joined by Steve and P-Wagon. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast, and we, sir, are in season five of the show, starting off the 2022 season. Guys, how are you doing today? Well, Dylan, uh, I've gained 30 pounds since my wedding a year ago. Uh, I'm depressed uh, for that. So uh, I am, uh, I've begun a workout program. Uh, but other than that, I'm fired up. I'm ready for the season to begin. Uh, this week has been interesting so far, and it's only Monday, Tuesday, when you're all listening to this. Uh, yeah, uh, just just ready for Saturday to be here. Steve, how are you hanging? I'm okay. Uh, I'm also almost at my one-year anniversary, one year removed from my marriage. Um, I've packed on a couple, but not that bad. <laughs> but more importantly, just looking forward to a nice long Labor Day. Uh, I did let my wife and all of her friends that were going to some cottage to up in Maine, I let everybody know six weeks ago at 7 p.m. on Saturday night, you guys can do whatever the hell you guys want to do. I get my TV undisturbed. So you got to set that groundwork and, and let those rules be known ahead of time. But yeah, I'm great, man. Well, I got some personal news, I think, for the podcast. I mean, you guys are aware, but um, I'm finishing up my degree. It seems like I've been doing it forever, uh, multiple ones. Uh, so I'm in my last semester and I've decided to go on exchange. So for this entire football season, I'm going to be in Dublin, Ireland, uh, the homeland. So that's exciting. But that's obviously going to be very challenging for this show. So for the listeners at home, what does that mean? Who knows? We'll figure it out. The Four Horsemen podcast will be going strong as ever. I think there will be some episodes where I'm on, some episodes where I'm not. But we're in good hands. And I'm really looking forward to, to going through this whole season, even if that's in a different continent and time zone. So that's going to be that's gonna be complicated. But screw it. I love Notre Dame. We're going to watch it all. Go Irish. Let's get into our segment. P, you invented this one two weeks ago, the hurry-up offense. Do you want to you wanna give our listeners a refresh and, and, yes. and kick us off? The highly anticipated, most commented, and beloved segment that we've ever done, the hurry-up offense, 30 seconds of unfiltered commentary from each of the three horsemen. And when Dylan's gone, it might be a minute and a half each to fill the three-minute time slot that we have here. Uh, so, yeah. Here we go. I started last week. Dylan was the week before. So, Stephen, you are on the clock. He's also on mute. And there we go. Nope, still on mute. Come on, Steve. We've been doing this for five years. Shut up. All right. And three, two. <laughs> Somebody clap. Somebody clap. Let's get a No, nose. no, that's that's staying in. That's too good. <laughs> No, we no, I'm gonna awkwardly pause now, so that way we have to. You have to cut this. You can't you just can't not cut this. 
I'm the. And this is you're gonna do this, this thing where you're gonna put this on the holiday edition again too, like when we have free time, and you're gonna make me look like an idiot in all these out of context clips. <laughs> I, I may have started that a little bit, but I'm uh, not here. We go. It, it's 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 P wagon doing the production, so it's his call. Okay. All right. All right. One, two, three. All right. So what's uh, what's bothering me, uh, Mr. Wagon and Dylan? It's that it's not that people are getting married. It's that too many people are getting married at the same time, and they're all getting married in the fall. And everybody knows fall weddings, they run right into football season. And I got I got married in the fall. So did you. But we need to stop this as a practice going forward because it's too much. I'm I'm on my deathbed here. Well said. No. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> we got to get a timer going, like a visual one. Well, Dylan, you're now on the clock. And we got a three, two, one. Hit it. I don't really have anything, so I'm just going to riff here. Um, I'm going to list things I don't like, and I'll start with football. So I don't like Michigan. Um, I don't particularly care for USC's seven-on-seven team. I'm really annoyed with Oregon and this whole expansion stuff. They're just they're just so annoying. Nobody cares about you. If it wasn't for your sugar daddy at Nike, you'd be irrelevant, and you kind of still are. Um, I don't like the Big Ten just as a whole. I mean, there's a few exceptions in there, but it's just not great. Uh, Penn State, get a rival. Like, uh, it's just it's sad. Just get a rival already. Like, why? Are, what are you doing in the Big Ten? You used to be kind of hot shit before you join that conference. So you, you kind of suck now. Um, Ohio State, I hate them. They, they suck. There's like two guys in that fan base that I like. Um, just, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy the game, folks. Have a good time. Be nice to each other. Well said. So me, with our, our finishing drive here, we're going to try to score a touchdown. Uh, first off, ESU clothing. If you don't have a shirt, buy one softest most comfortable shirt i wore one on saturday i look like marcus freeman jr i just look phenomenal on it and also phil Dracovic uh, had an a article in the boston globe and he was grew, grew uh, frustrated with the coach at notre dame he said it wasn't as much about how they treated people because I think they also treated people very badly, very poorly, some of the coaches there, but it was more about their lack of experience and coaching. He meant Brian Kelly, but he really meant Tommy Reese. And to that, I have to say, fuck you. Tommy Reese is going to be one of the best coaches to ever step foot in Notre Dame. I, you November I, it, I'm assuming we hit a 30 seconds there, because I think that's a topic for discussion. Um, that was Tommy Reese's first season as the quarterback coach, I think, or it was around that time or was his first season as the offensive coordinator. He was an experienced. He probably botched that situation. I don't doubt what Phil said. I think Tommy has had many years now as the coach. I think he's got that experience, and I think he's very well liked. So I don't know how true that would hold today um, if, if we were to start today with his experience. Um, so I'm not going to hold him too crazy for that because you know it, what maybe tommy did make mistakes i don't know but the brian kelly comments are hilarious that we got i've seen them floating out there uh there it, it goes lied, to show kelly did family yeah maybe a little bit of chip long too 
the football team and culture wasn't what people think it to be. And, you know, I, I've never played football for Notre Dame. He might be right. And good for him finding Chestnut Hill and being happy uh, over in Boston College. Whatever. He's from Pittsburgh. Good for him. I like him. I read the article under a lens. He was coming off a little bit soft. He he came off like a like a almost an ex girlfriend who was mad that her ex boyfriend was doing well in life, and he just used the article to just kind of shit on the Irish. And you know, good for him for growing. He's going to be an NFL draft pick. I'm I'm very happy for that. But really, it. The article kind of bothered me. Yeah. I mean, Steve, what are your thoughts? You're a big Phil guy. Or were. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of shots fired, but also it's, you know, he's speaking his mind, which he certainly has the right to. Uh, and it, I, I think it's mostly on Kelly there, you know, saying that he, you just felt like he didn't care and there was, you know, not, not very much of a connection. Um, I mean, that's, that's signature Brian Kelly for you. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, as you mentioned, it, it could have been maybe Coach Reese handled it perfectly and then Phil was just miffed. And then, you know, maybe he, they were just right. Uh, or or maybe, you know, Tom did have some mishaps along the way. But, you know, like you said, you know, first-year coach may not have been just the best fit for a true freshman and then also like a, a true sophomore that never really got a good – Good look, you know he never he never really got a, his chance. I don't know. It's it's a tough circumstance, but I mean all the best to him. Just sucks. Yeah, it was it was an interesting situation because the transition of Phil would have been really nice after Ian, but Ian stayed really longer than we anticipated. But you can't complain about that because this 2020 season was really good. Like he finished top ten among quarterbacks in in, in total and adjusted QBR. So. You know, was he perfect? No. Did he did he not throw the ball when he should have sometimes? Yes. We all know we all know how Ian Book plays, but he brought a lot of value in 2020, and we can't really can't really say we missed out there. You would have liked to have Phil for last year and this year, though. So it's just it's a timing thing. Um, I've got nothing wrong with what he said. I'm kind of glad that he put Kelly on blast, and I think the fact that he didn't name Coach Reese by name, at least in the clips I've seen, like the 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 you know the readings or whatever quotes have come out of it, I think might say a lot the fact that one coach's name was mentioned and not the other so uh i'm not i'm not i'm fine with it it's it's whatever so the the one thing i do have to say about that uh not so much phil but it it has to do with the narrative and and this is kind of uh, off the beaten path but also has to do with notre dame uh people can take what they read or whatever they see and fit their own narrative into it. Uh, I was on a memorabilia site uh, on Facebook today because I'm old and I still use Facebook, Dylan. And this guy was like, when's the first time a quarterback wasn't a captain at Notre Dame? Literally last year with Jack Cole. And he was like anti Buckner. And he was like rallying against Buckner being the starter because he wasn't a captain. So I took the narrative. I took it as a slight to Tommy Reese. This guy doesn't like Buckner, so he's making his facts fit his own narrative. Everyone can do that, and we're going to see that this season, even with Ohio State fans. They're, they're going to twist things around. They're going to twist the Northwestern uh, win in Ireland as a win for them. 
uh, because Big Ten fans are simple-minded. But, like, overall, people can take these narratives and just change them up however they want. You know damn well the Ohio State fans after this game, regardless of how it goes, are going to tell Notre Dame fans to their face they suck, but will tell everybody else – that's that's a top five team that we played. That's a great that's a great football club. But what a what a what a tough game that was. You just know what's gonna happen. That they they speak out of both sides of their mouth. So you're spot yeah. on. Same shit with Georgia a couple of years ago. You know, and it's like we've had people say Notre Dame sucks. They're trash. Can't win the big game. And then like, and then Georgia's bragging about it as a resume point. So it's I mean people are hypocritical. Welcome to humanity. <laughs> it is what it is. But yeah, that guy's a fucking lunatic if he doesn't like Tyler Buckner. Just kick him out of the fan base, Doug. <laughs> well, there we have it. There's your much-anticipated two-minute offense that took way more than two minutes to do. Uh, but now that that topic's well, done... Plus, plus discussion. Fair. Yeah, there, there's some timeouts thrown in there. Uh, so, topic on everyone's mind. Uh, the white sweatshirts are indeed still on sale. They are nice. Let's uh, let's get into it though. the The depth chart has been released uh, to today, the day of recording, Monday. Uh, yes. um, uh, yeah, Monday. Let yes. Let's pull it up because there's uh, maybe one or two surprises, but I wouldn't say anything out of the ordinary. Um, and we could talk about it. We could talk about how we feel. We can kind of evaluate this team as we go along here, um, and then and then we'll we'll head into Ohio State. So. Just taking a look, I'll read them off. Um, Notre Dame lists them very weirdly, like the order in which they post them. But I'll just go by groupings here. So the the three starting wide receivers are listed to be Lorenzo Styles, Jaden Thomas, and Braden Lindsay. And the way they have them listed is Styles will be playing the boundary, um, which probably isn't his best spot, but he can do it. Thomas as the slot receiver, and um, of course Lindsay as the field receiver. Now. Here's why I don't – as someone who's kind of put together a projection of a depth chart, Notre Dame's wide receiver group is weird because you can't really put these guys in three spots because Lorenzo Styles is going to play all three positions. So he's not technically – I wouldn't say he's the boundary starter. You're going to see Colsey play there a lot. You're going to see Merriweather play a lot. The, for the same reason, you're not going to see Jaden Thomas, I think, play the entire game in the slot. I think you're going to see a lot of Braden, of, uh, Braden Lindsay, perhaps Lorenzo Styles. So I wouldn't say those are our three top receivers because, you know, we haven't heard much about Jaden Thomas. He's a sophomore. I, I don't know if he's established himself as the third wide receiver. I just – because we're not very healthy and because of the just the types of receivers we have, listing them is very difficult. So with that said, uh, you got Deion Colsey backing up Styles. Uh, Matt Salerno recently earned us off scholarship offer. we backing up Jaden Thomas. And Joe Wilkins Jr. backing up um Braden Lindsay how do you guys feel about this group obviously we're we're thin on healthy receivers I believe the only one not listed who's healthy is Tobias Merriweather who I think could be the best of everybody listed um how are you guys feeling well you got Merriweather you got Xavier Watts not on the list and you know that's just by nature of how the two deep works um I like Lindsay as a field receiver. We're very high on Lindsay here in the program overall. Uh, but I was doing a thought experiment today by myself with my whiteboard. Uh, and you could, in theory, run a ton of double slot sets and motion, rocket motion or jet motion into trips and have fun trying to guard, you know, Lindsay Styles and Merriweather, Lindsay Styles and Thomas on one side of the field. Like there, there's a lot of things that you can do uh, with that. 
that will open up the run game. Uh, but, you know, the receivers are the receivers. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I do think uh, we're due for a big game from Merriweather. And uh, Lindsey's also going to go off. I don't know how. I would like to see a little bit of a rocket motion and then just have Michael Mayer uh, and uh, Aldrich SMA just kind of lead block for him and just say good night. So that that's my thought. Yeah, I like this group. I just I don't know if it's deep. Yeah, not for sure. I mean, Jaden Thomas, I, I'm actually pretty excited for him uh, you know, as a true sophomore to be making his way into the slot. They've always said he could play boundary. He could play slot. You know, he's six two. He's about 210 pounds and he carries that weight well. Uh, and they just say he's a, he, he just attacks the ball in the air. He's a great at the high point. He's really great at going up and making a play. He's great at body control. So he he's very comparable to like a Chase Claypool, just like two inches shorter, unfortunately. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the aggression that they might be able to get into that part of the game where they can still bring Lindsey underneath or send him deep. And then, you know, out on the other end, you have a guy that's just a, a yards after catch machine. So uh, you know, in, in styles, uh, it, another way that they're going to be able to hide, you know, the, uh, their inexperience or their lack of depth is going to be like wagon. Like you said, just bringing in more running backs and H backs and tight ends in, into this game. And this might be a game where Tommy race uh, and this offense, they might want to slow it down, control the clock and basically keep the other team's offense off the field, right? Give their, give you know, this Notre Dame defense some air in their lungs and make sure that they, uh, have time to prepare so that it, all of this is going to factor in. I think these, these wide receivers are up to the task. I just think that we might see one or two mistakes from them, inexperienced mistakes. Just hopefully they can be overcome and they're not o- o- too costly. So that's my initial thoughts, but I obviously Dylan, I know you probably have something to add upon that. Well, it's interesting to see how Chancey Stuckey's going to, have his foot, his uh, his fingerprint on this on this group. Like, what's he going to be able to do with them in the time he's had? So that that'll be a big one. I I just keep looking at Dion Colsey, man. The guy's listed as six four and three quarters of an inch. So he's basically six foot five. He's lanky. He was basically a high high four star, almost a five star coming out of high school. Um, you know, top one fifty player for sure. I think he's got to see the field and. I think we will see him. that he's he's got size that nobody else in the group has. And I think if Ohio State's going to play some man on man, you're going to need a guy like that that can that can win at the point of attack that can, you know, leap and and and, and catch the 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 defender to be able to bully with size. That's something that we might need. So it'll be interesting to see season long um, how this how this works. But is what it is. It's it's a good group. Ohio State fans keep acting like they're not. I mean, it's I mean Lorenzo Styles, I think is maybe probably the second best receiver on the field for the game after um after Smith Najiba, pardon me on the on the pronunciation. Um I I think this group's fine. It's just it's a depth issue and and we'll see how long in the season that can hold for. Yeah. If we see a lot of Matt Salerno in this game against Ohio State, we're in big trouble. <laughs> we'll see. I, want, I would like to see what Salerno's made of starting the week after against Marshall. Right. So I'll move to two positions that don't need much talking. Uh, quarterback Tyler Buckner's the starter. Drew Pine's the backup. We knew that. Um, Buckner's li- interesting listed at 6-1, um, which is 
I think better than we hoped for. <laughs> we were, uh, I think people were worried that he might be a little under that. So that's something to note. And then the wide receiver, Chris Tyree or Logan Diggs or Audric Estime. Now I know there's an issue of whether Diggs will be healthy for the game. I thought the expectation was that he wouldn't be. I know. I think he improved his timeline over the summer, but I'm not, I don't know if we're expecting him for that game. Audric Estime. He's full draw in contact. Yeah. What, what's Diggs coming back from? Was it an Achilles? Labrum. Ah. Jadarian Price Torres Achilles. Ah, ah, that's what it was. All right, thank you. And he's a true freshman, and I think he was going to have a really good season. But he'll come back. He'll come back next year. Um, Yeah, Yeah. Audric Estime, I think, might be the key to this game. Uh, Just the sheer size of him. Whenever we saw him last year, he was fantastic. I think he can give Ohio State a lot of problems. Um, 5 11 229. That is – that's a large man. And and of course you got Chris Tyree in there who's who's lightning. So I think you got a great combo there. Um, I like that group. So the the big one I want to get to you guys is tight end. Uh, we've got Michael Mayer listed as the starter, obviously. Kevin Bowman wins the backup spot. And interestingly, the third tight end listed is Davis Sherwood, who was a walk-on player that just recently earned a scholarship to play kind of a fullback type position for Notre Dame. Interestingly, that he's listed on the depth chart ahead of a lot of other pre-scholarship guys. What do you guys think of that? Steve? Um, I think that this is indicative that Coach Reese is going to ultimately adopt that Auburn-style flex wing, you know, uh, kind of you know two-running back system. I, I think that's ultimately, you know, you have the H-back. Uh, you know, the tight ends and, you know, and then two wide receivers on the field. And, and I think that's how you can still establish a power running game. You can still pass. And then if you have a strong running, you know, quarterback like we obviously have, I think that's the offense we're setting up for. I mean, why else would you give a walk on true sophomore a scholarship at that particular position? The kid obviously has talent. He probably has his skills set just like work right in with that blocking and that sort of style of play. And they said, you know what? Let's you know, let's let's lock this guy in for another couple of years because this is the direction that we're going in. So that's the only thing that makes sense for me. And I'm happy for the kid. That's fantastic that we got to walk on to get a scholarship. Now go out and earn it, young man. Agreed. And if they do run the uh, the Auburn offense, it's going to be an offense that has never been run since Camden's run it. Uh, and also for me, for you guys, you'll be very happy to know. I know that offense on the back of my hand. Uh, it's a fun one to run. Uh, when I uh, started coaching it back in the day, you know, it's almost 10 years now, which makes me feel super old. The first year that we had it halfway uh, established, my running back was rushing average 61 yards a game. Uh, the quarterback was averaging about 59.9. Uh, and then the following year, when we fully established the spread option uh, after a whole offseason, I know I'm talking about a high school football team, but I just want to tell you what this offense can do. This offense, and these aren't D1 athletes. We went from 61 yards a game to 172 in our leading running back. A hundred in one year. So take that, now multiply by a D1 team who has better D1 athletes who can now run this game. It's, it's going to be unreal. And David Sherwood is indicative of that. Uh, the reason he is on the depth chart is because he's going to be used as that H-back, that third tight end in the backfield who's able to block down. I told Tommy, you know, F it. Put Mayer in the backfield and have him uh, 
lead block for estimate. Like let, let's see estimate him on one side and uh, TB12 behind him. So that's uh, that's why I got there. I just want to go on record. I don't think we're moving to that offense at all. I think Tommy Reese in the Oklahoma State game kind of showed what he wants to do, which is a pro offense that's going to sling the ball and run it. Um, I think that's more so they just didn't have someone to fill the position, but we'll see. I mean, Tyler Buckner is a, is a dual threat quarterback with elite running ability, so I think they'll be tapping more into that than last year. Um, in terms of how they use Jack Cohn. And I think they'll be way more passing with Buckner than they were last year because I think that's that was just Jack Cohn's role. So I think you'll see a good blend. Um, I want to get to the offensive line because I think this is where Notre Dame could have a huge advantage. But the key word there is could because Harry Heastand is the best coach ever. Um, how much can he help these guys improve? Because if you guys, I'm sure you guys don't forget, the offensive line was putrid for at least half of the season until... Of course, our boy Joe Walt kind of established himself as a premier left tackle. Um, part of that could be coaching because a lot of guys did take steps back, but this needs to improve. And I think it could be Notre Dame's strength in this game. So I'll go through this now. Joe Walt at left tackle, backed up by Tosh Baker. Charrett Patterson starting at left guard, although he will be a game time decision with his injury. And if he's playing injured, how effective will he be? That could be, unfortunately, a really big key part of the Ohio State game. But if he's not playing, he'll be backed up by Rocco Spindler, a highly recruit kid as a sophomore. Center is Zeke Correll, who apparently won that job in camp and allowed Notre Dame to move Patterson to guard. He'll be backed up by Pat Coogan. And right guard is... Uh, I was surprised that they didn't do an or here because I wasn't sure if someone had won the job yet. But Josh Lug is listed as the starting right guard, uh, starting right guard, and Andrew Andrew Christofik is listed as the backup. I thought that would be more of a battle that could kind of go either way. It seems like Lug has won that, um, so that's that's an interesting thing to, to to note. And at right tackle, no surprise there. Blake Fisher is going to get the start, backed up by Michael Carmody. So. How are you guys feeling about that offensive line group? It's got a mix of youth and, and seniority in there. Um, there's some athletic guys. Um, there's some vets in there. What, what, what do you think? Our tackles are massive. They're, they're just – I'm 5'5 five, five on a tall day. <laughs> These cats are 6'8", 320. Like, that, it's just phenomenally large humans. Uh, they're going to maul the hell out of everyone this year. Uh, like we we have the best up front that I I can see out of any of our teams. We're we're just gonna maul teams and it's gonna be great. You're you two probably aren't happy with it, but we're gonna run the ball and we're gonna run the ball and we're gonna run down their throat and then we're gonna throw the ball and then we're gonna run the ball some more. So Blake Fisher's listed at 327 pounds. That is as so, a sophomore. I just so wish good. he was 310 because it feels like that extra 17 pounds is a lot of weight to carry around on his knees and ankles, you know? Um, but Hey, I mean, on your, on your outside edge, you have one guy who worked his way up to being a, you know, very, very good status. You have another guy that came in very highly recruited and they're both true sophomores. And then on the interior, you have how many starts in there and how much experience with uh, two seniors and one graduate student. I mean, or is it two graduate students and one senior? However, it works out ton of experience guys that have been on campus for a long time. Harry Highstand and you know he's they got the strength coach they have the the offensive line coach they have another year and I think they're going to have a little bit more unit cohesiveness uh, with you know just one decided running I, I'm sorry quarterback 
behind them this year and they kind of can start to form an identity instead of flip-flopping back and forth between offenses so you know things got better over the course of the last year they they started terrible they improved markedly I think that <coughs> excuse me I think that honestly we have a really good opportunity to dominate the trenches in this game and and like I was was mentioning if we can run six seven eight minutes of play clock on scoring drives, getting Audric estimate a burst through for like a three-yard score at, on after like 13 plays. Think about what's that what that is going to do to their defense, and what's going to give our defense time to recover and make sure that we're not going to be giving up the big play to Jackson Smith and Jigba. So it's all interconnected, and this offensive line seemingly looks like they're up to the task on paper, and I really hope it comes through in you know in in reality. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And I want to kind of circle back at the end to talk about the position groups and, and who we think might break out. But uh, if it's all right with you guys, I think we'll move to defense here. Um, and we'll start along the defensive line. Um, at the starting Viper position, for those who um, aren't super familiar, Viper is going to be kind of drop back into coverage sometimes, uh, blitz the quarterback. Um, you think you think your, um, your Okwara's... Um, Names are escaping me at the top of my head, but the Viper, the starting Viper for Notre Dame this year is obviously going to be Isaiah Foskey. Um, one of the best defensive ends, I think, in the country. Uh, first round talent, elite, elite speed, can get to the quarterback and play in coverage. Fantastic player. Uh, he's backed up by Justin Admiola and jo- or Jordan Botello. Uh, Botello's bounced around between Rover and uh, defensive ed. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see a lot of good rotation there. Um, on the big end position, the other defensive end side, you got Riley Mills, who's been moved there from D tackle. I think this kid's an animal. I've I've said that as as long as I've been seeing him play snaps, I've been thoroughly impressed with him. I think this is a breakout season for Riley Mills. He's backed up by Nana Osofo Mensa and Alexander Ehrensberger. Um, so there's your depth chart on the defensive ends and the defensive tackles. It looks like the three tech is going to be started by Jason Admiola, backed up by Jacob Lacey and Chris Smith. That's a little surprising to me because Chris Smith is listed at 310, and I kind of expected him to be the nose guard, but they seem to like him at the three tech there. And then you get to your nose guard position. Howard Cross the third is the starter, and a name I'm very happy to see on the depth chart, Gabriel Rubio, will be backing him up. Um, sophomore there, really highly touted prospect. Um, so that's the defensive line. I think that's filthy. I think you're going to have monsters on the edge rushing you. You're going to have some extremely athletic defensive tackles. That's going to be tough for Ohio State to deal with. What? How? What's your confidence level in this group, and is there someone in particular you're excited to see? Uh, just me in general, Chris Smith, whenever he's on the field, I'm excited for him. Uh, Fosfi as well. We have some pretty cool stuff coming up uh, for Fosfi, so whenever he's on the field, uh, listeners and Twitter people, uh, follow us along on the Horseman pod. Uh, we definitely have some fun stuff for him planned. Glad, uh, there we go. Yeah, glad you're finally getting into the content, Kate, buddy. Um, no, a lot of depth, man. I mean, come on. There's like, if anyone drops off at any point where they go down for injury or they're winded or something, it's like, it feels like we have enough talent on the field. I mean, the Adam Alola brothers were, have been menaces. I mean, Jason, especially in the middle, just plugs it up. He's incredible. Uh, and in Justin, you know, he, again, he's a graduate senior, so he's not going to be. You know, like uh, he might be like a sixth or seventh round pick, but he's definitely talented, man. He's he's been here for a long time and made some really great plays. Botello is incredibly, you know, limber and he can just like I've never seen a guy his size 
get into a backfield in different ways. Like he always fe- seems like he's finding a way to break through an offensive line. So yeah, uh, Nana Osofa Mensa. I've been waiting for that guy to really break out. He's a red shirt, a junior would really, really love for him to make a name for himself. Uh, and I think he's going to have a chance to with, uh, with Riley Mills ahead of him. So yeah, I mean, there, it doesn't feel like there's, Obviously, Isaiah is like the the star top end talent. There's not anything really comparable to Isaiah in talent wise, but depth wise, it feels like we're just going to be really, really solid and making plays and just not giving up, you know, the, the big one basically. Yeah, Pete, do you have any further thoughts, or should we move to linebacker? I'm good. Okay, so the linebacker group, and I don't want you guys to look at the depth chart right now because I have a question for you later. So just put it away if you're looking at it. Um, same thing at home. This is a this is a quiz for you guys at the end. The starting will linebacker is going to be Maris Leofau. Um, we've been waiting to see him for so long. He's going to have, I think, a really great season. He is listed to be backed up by Jack Kaiser or Prince Colley. I think that will be Prince Colley, and it's nothing to do with Jack Kaiser. You'll see in a second. The Mike linebacker, J.D. Bertrand, is listed as the starter this year. I think he surpassed his backup, who is now, or they said or, so Bo Bauer. But I think the talk has been that J.D. may have surpassed Bo to be that Mike linebacker. And then backed up by Junior Tuihalamaka, the freshman. Then we get to Rover. Jack Kaiser is the starter there. That's why I don't think we're going to see a ton of him necessarily at will. I think Prince Colley will earn those backup snaps. Uh, And then he'll be backed up by J.D. Bertrand as well. So. Of all those linebackers I just listed, without looking, who do you think is the biggest of the bunch in terms of weight? Bo Bauer. Uh, I wonder, Leofau just... Neither. It is true freshman junior Tui Halamaka at 240 pounds as a true freshman. Holy shit. shit. He's 6'2", 240. How... Oh, I can't wait to see. That's that like guy. Brian Urlacher numbers <laughs> or Junior Seau, yeah. Yeah, he's going to see the field um and it won't be long because the two mics ahead of him, JD Bertrand's a senior and Bo Bowers a graduate player. So we're going to see Junior as at least at the very latest we'll see him next year, but we're going to see some snaps and I can't wait for that. So moving moving to the secondary here, we'll kind of wrap this up. Cam Hart is um He's kind of listed twice. He's listed as the starter on one side and the backup on the other. I think the point there is Cam's going to play wherever he's needed. Uh, Tariq Bracey's listed as backup uh, and Jaden Mickey as well. They got an or next to Bracey, so it kind of feels like where they wherever they feel they want Cam Hart, it'll either be Bracey and Hart or it'll be Lewis and Hart. So that's kind of your starters. Uh, Jaden Mickey's listed as the backup and Benjamin Morrison's listed as the other backup. That's significant to me because those are true fre- two true freshmen and all of the sophomores have been skipped. Ryan Barnes isn't listed. Uh, Philip Riley isn't listed. It, wh- where are those guys? Uh, how did they get passed by two freshmen? I don't know. I've heard Bo Barnes' name time and time again coming out of practice. You know, this guy's this guy is it. He can lock down like the best of them. And to see him not up there is very concerning. So... Uh, who knows what's going on in that DB room? Maybe these freshmen just came in and they were dynamite. Um, mm-hmm. Or there's some sort of drop-off in development. I Hopefully it's the former, not the latter, because that's a little concerning. I hope it's, yeah, I hope it's the freshmen are just really, really good. <laughs> that's what I hope it is. Um, but I like that starter group. P, what do you think of that? 
Yeah, I, I like the group a lot. Uh, watching the Northwestern game on Saturday, uh, it was indicative of how much Northwestern misses Brandon Joseph. Uh, we haven't gotten to safeties yet, but keep going. My apologies there. Uh, but with that, the uh, the corners itself, uh, I think we're due for a big year from, from the two older uh, of the bunch. And Jaden Mickey as well is going to be a dude. So your two safeties, they've listed them as left safety and right safety. Left safety is DJ Brown or Houston Griffith, so they haven't made a decision there. And the right safety is Brandon Joseph or Ramon Henderson. Uh, we know Joseph will be starting. I'm just a little surprised Henderson's listed with Joseph on the right side. I kind of thought they would both be on the field together, and I kind of suspect we'll see them together. Um, but that's your four-man safety group. I don't mind that. Um it's uh, you got your elite athlete in Brandon Joseph. Uh, Ramon Henderson is super athletic, um, just a little experience. And then you got your veterans in DJ Brown and Houston Griffith. So um, the secondary, I think, is good. I think it'll be an improvement on last year uh, just because Kyle Hamilton didn't play much of last year. And I mean, another year of Cam Hart is wonderful. He had a great season last year. So that's uh, that's the offense and defense. P, do you want to comment on special teams? Because uh, you, that's your area of expertise. Do I ever? Uh, so special teams starting on the left side, the kickoff side of the house. Uh, we have freshman Bryce Turbofoot McPherson starting at the kickoff specialist uh, with Zach Yolkham backing him up. Uh, Bryce McPherson is also one of the fastest uh, on the team. So that's uh, that's something to note. Uh, my good close personal friend, Blake Rupi, uh, it will be kicking all types of field goals for us this year. Uh, John Sott, Harvard transfer. We'll be punting. Shout out Mrs. Sot, Candice. Uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful person on Twitter. Uh, likes all our tweets. And Milk Vinson as the lawn snapper. So we got McPherson, Groupie, Sot, and Vinson uh, as our specialist group there. One of the best in the nation. Uh, Sot and McPherson could see the field together. Sot did split time uh, at Harvard. Uh, he was kind of a, a specialist, coffin corner type of guy. Uh, so with that, there, there's definitely some president there, but I think he'll be taking the majority of the punts. Uh, we also do have Brian Dowd as our third punter. He's the, the goalie for the football, uh, soccer team. Uh, holder John Sott, punt returner Brandon Joseph or Matt Salerno, uh, kick returner Tyree Styles Lindsay. Have fun kicking to any of those guys uh, on punt return or kickoff return. People are going to be holding their breath with Joseph as a punt returner, but it also eliminates the need to run out a different safety package if uh, the team goes with like a punt safe type of formation. Uh, so those are our special teams. They are indeed special. Uh, we're going to win games on the foot of these young men. Did you get to return men? Yes, I went through them real quick. Just Sorry. So I, I know. No, no, that's fine. I was just uh, I was just looking at the roster and I had tuned you out for a moment because where's Josh Bryan? You guys know? Do you know Red what I'm shirt. talking about? Yeah, yeah well, he, but he was, uh, he's a sophomore now. Uh, he was a highly, highly brought in recruit. I mean, I, I think he was, a, uh, I don't know if he was a walk-on or if he got a scholarship. And he's supposed to be a place kicker, and he's not listed on the two deep. In fact, some walk-on named Zach Yoakum is the backup place kicker. Where's our scholarship boy? Anyone? That's interesting. Yeah, because he was a six-star per Chris Saylor, wasn't he? Yes, he yeah. was. Yeah. So if he's not as a six star, as a true sophomore, if he's not on the field or at least breaking under the depth chart, that's no bueno. 
Yeah, so, somebody, if somebody at home knows, let us send us a DM. We'd like to yeah. know where Josh Bryan's at. The one thing I could say, he didn't do well at all during the Blue and Gold game. Uh, so, not it's not great. Yeah, could just be more developmental time. I mean, yeah, it, it's early. He's still young. Yeah, and Groupie's there. Groupie's not going anywhere. Yokum will be the backup. He, they may not want to burn eligibility for him either. That could be it too. You know, you want your special teamers there eight, nine years if you can. Um, we want we want doctor kickers. That's all we're looking for. Exactly. You got to get your your medicine at Notre Dame for to be a special teamer. Um, okay, so let's let's kind of reflect on the group as a as a whole here. Um, all of them. Who? What, what's the strength of this team? Just looking at the depth chart, the two deep. The trenches. Trenches. Yeah, I think I think the defensive line for me. It's it's a lot. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of power. Who do you foresee being? kind of a breakout star and i'll give you each kind of one on offense one on defense mr wagon i'll let you go first uh breakout star on offense and defense yep uh offensively estime aldrich estime is going to be my guy uh just because he he has a little bit of time but this is his time to shine this year uh, especially as a sophomore logan dids as well everyone makes a joke that i forget about logan dids i don't uh I, logan dids would be one b for me on offense uh defensively you're going to be a little bit worried when i say this but benjamin morrison uh, i think he's a dude uh so that that would be my pick there i i don't i, I wouldn't or, be worried or Jaden mickey those are my I'm, I'm high on both of them that'd be great if one of them emerged um I'll, I'll I'll buy time for Steve, but I was gonna go estimate just because he's a absolute menace. If we don't, I will shout out friend of the show, Braden Lindsay. Uh, nothing but good reviews all off season from what we've heard. Um, I think it, it's not like he's not established. He's been on the roster a few years, but I think this is a season where we can see Braden Lindsay really, really make himself felt on the field. I I could see a really huge year from Lindsay. He's got the speed. We know we know it's there, um, and I think with good coaching like Chance Chancey Stuckey, I think I think that could be a really good season for him. And defensively, for me, I gave it away earlier. I think it's Ryan Mills um, or e. Riley. Riley Mills. Sorry, I knew, I know, I know. It's uh, names. We're we're talking like 500 names, so they're they're just zooming by. But Riley Mills is a dude. I mean, as long as I've been seeing him play, it's just you can see the athleticism there. You can see the tenacity. I'm really high on him, and I think it's going to be a good year. Yeah, uh, and then I would agree with Audric Estime, but uh, because he's been taken, you know what? I'm just going to give a shout-out to Chris Tyree. I know he's the starter, so people are like, yeah, obviously he's going to break out, but I just don't – people don't remember sometimes that he was like a borderline five-star running back, and he's unbelievably fast, and I think this is a really fun offense with a much-improved line that he could potentially have like 1,600 yards. And like 20 touchdowns like th- this, this could potentially be an extremely special season, like a Doak Walker potential season for Chris Tyree. So that's something to look for. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I think I'm going to take, uh, I think I'm going to go with DJ Brown because he was kind of forced into the role with the, obviously, uh, you know, Kyle Hamilton going down last year, he matured or was forced to mature at a much more rapid rate. He got his experience 
And I, yeah, he's, he's a senior, right? A, a senior in the classroom, junior in, on the field. No, he's a graduate. Oh, oh, he's a graduate. Yeah. So he's five years on campus at this point. Yeah. He's, I think he's going to see the field kind of slow down for him, especially with, uh, with Brandon Joseph being so highly talented next to him, baby being able to compete against him, learn from him, you know, being able to rely upon him. So that way he can really truly play his position. I think DJ Brown is going to get a lot of hype. Sounds good. That's our, our roster breakdown heading into Ohio state. Let's look at Ohio state. Now, if, uh, if you guys will indulge me here, um, I took a, a brief look at, the Ohio State roster in terms of injuries. They're, they're suffering two injuries at the moment. Evan Pryor, uh, their number two running back, is out. It looks like it's nasty. Um, you know, we wish him the best in his recovery. And then uh, Cameron Babb, a wide receiver and captain for Ohio State, is out. Um, of course, wish him the best as well. Other than that, Ohio State seems pretty free from injuries. Uh, I wish that we could say the same. <laughs> but we're not too banged up. We'll uh, we'll be somewhat healthy. Just looking at preseason All-Americans, this isn't uh, a definitive statistic or something, but Ohio State had five AP All-Americans, three on the first team, Henderson, running back, uh, Paris Johnson Jr., left tackle, Smith Najigba, the wide receiver, and second team, C.J. Stroud at quarterback, and Dewan Jones, the right tackle. So those are their five. In contrast, Notre Dame had four. Uh, two on the first team and two on the second team. So on the first team, you have Jarrett Patterson and Isaiah Foskey. And on the second team, you have Michael Mayer and Brandon Joseph. Cam Hart, not listed, but obviously one of those players who will be in contention for that award at the end of the year. For me, it's just I'm a little shocked to see two offensive linemen from Ohio State get mentioned, given how not good their offensive line was. Uh, Justin Fry was recently hired there, a great offensive line coach from UCLA. I don't think he can work Harry Heastan magic in one year. Ohio State has a tendency to blow up their linemen, and they kind of lose a bit of athleticism. So that'll be an interesting matchup. I thought for sure defensive line, offensive line will be a, a win for Notre Dame, and I think that's kind of what's going to have to happen because that's what happened with Michigan uh, and Oregon. So uh, just that was just the recap I wanted to get in there. Obviously, we know Ohio State's offense is premier. They were first in, in, in total yards last year, first in scoring offense. Uh, and the defense is suspect. You know, they had uh, 14 five stars on their current roster, and a lot of them aren't living up to expectation. Um, what do you guys think? Are you are, are you guys really worried about this one, or do you see this as a game that's kind of 50-50? P. So, yes and no and everything in between. So, you mentioned they do have those three uh, return to Heisman candidates, Marvin Harrison's offspring on the offense. Uh, so, their offense is going to be good. Their defense wasn't good last year. They finished 2021 20th in the defensive S&P Plus, 20 sets in points per game, but then it just got bad. 52nd in total defense, 59th in yards per play, 33rd in yards per carry, 97th in pass defense, 50th in pass efficiency. Yeah, I've done my research. 88th in red zone defense and 96th in third down percentage. Uh, Oklahoma State was good with Jim Knowles, and they can correct that, but it's going to take more than uh, one game to correct that. Uh, really, I think ND's strengths start in the weight room uh, and really making it much closer than expected will happen uh, because when you look at Oregon and Michigan last year, 
Uh, they allowed 283 rushing yards and four and a half rushing touchdowns. Freeman came out today and said that the formula uh, is going to be to run the ball. I don't know if that's just hearsay, but, uh, you know, giving up 283 and four and a half in two losses. Uh, and the, their offense, so Ohio State's offense, converted just 42% of third down. So if the Irish can win the line of scrimmage and get off the field uh, and put them into longer situations instead of a third and one, uh, it's it's going to look good for them. Got to pressure the quarterback, got to get to the quarterback, got to run the ball and keep the other team off the field. And luckily, we have guys who can run. Yeah, the secondary was a big problem for Ohio State last year, which you don't expect from uh, someone who claims to be DBU. Um, and I think you're, I think you're spot on there. I mean, who knows what the, what the real game plan is going to be? But if, if your, if your advantage is in the trenches, you're going to want to take advantage of that when you can. And you saw that with Michigan last year, right? Michigan had no problem moving the ball in Ohio State, and it kind of opens up, it opens up the game, right? You get play action going. I think that's going to be the key. I think Tyler Buckner's legs compared or paired with either some RPOs, play action, whatever you got, there's going to be a lot of open space in that field for either him to take it and run uh, or to dink it over the linebackers' heads with Michael Mayer. And it just so happens Michael Mayer is the best tight end in the country. So huge advantage there for Notre Dame. I'm with you. And the the other thing that we have to think about, Steve, you're on mute. Uh, Marcus Freeman's making his return to Ohio State. James Laurinaitis is making his return to Ohio State. Uh, and everyone uh, is talking shit. Oh, Marcus Freeman, come, come, the only good thing out of Ohio State is coaching on Notre Dame now, and, and Notre Dame has nothing, blah, 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 blah. Marcus Freeman and Laurinaitis can teach these guys, and probably have been, about what a game in the horseshoe is like. Unlike Brian Kelly, who was a fucking CEO of the company, these guys can be emotional about it. They, they can describe it. They, they can get the, the sound pumping that practice like there's gonna be things that they can do to mimic it but i think you're gonna see a different notre dame as well you're not gonna see a notre dame who looks like they got slapped in the back of the head like you're, you're gonna see a team who is ready to play who cares about the coach you're playing with or a team who's playing not to lose which is what we saw so much under brian kelly um pete one more thing before i let steve go off on an epic rant here a point you made earlier about jim Knowles taking over one notre dame just slapped a jim Knowles defense in the bowl game First half, at least. Um, but two, we saw up front at Notre Dame last year what happens when a new defensive coordinator comes in who wants to play around with things a little bit, right? Marcus Freeman came in. We saw a little more 3-3-5 than we did in the past, um, or 3-3 and then, you know, whatever other numbers we need out there. But it was rough. The first few games were rough. Florida State put a lot of yards on us. Um, that's something Ohio State fans don't realize is Jim Knowles is coming in and it's going to be an adjustment period. Uh, it's going to be a new system. A lot of those guys are underperforming, right? We all remember Jack Sawyer as the, you know, top five, you know, defensive end next uh, next Chase Young. And what's he really done? His production's been kind of mediocre. Um, so we get, we're going to have to see what happens there. But Ohio State, I think, has been a little too cocky in this one. And I think it might be insecurity because they lost to Oregon and Michigan. But they keep trying to convince us that we're going to get blown out. It's like... A, what are you compensating for? So, Steve, take it away. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've, we've kind of sp- spelled it out a handful of times. Again, it's you know, dominating those trenches, and, and that's going to give us the best opportunity. You know, if it, it seems like we're potentially going to be stronger in that game, and if we can really push them around with the Matt Bayless uh, model, that would be great. Because if we can just control this game, 
I think that's that's the formula, and that's what ultimately happened against you know uh, against Michigan and Oregon, as you guys pointed out. So that's the path. We know the path to victory. So normally I would say, yeah, pass the ball uh, more often. But I think you know starting as a you know maybe a 55-45 run team in this one might work to our advantage. But a question I want to posit to you, uh, Dylan, I'll start with you, or we can just have a single answer from you. Was Tim Tebow an excellent thrower of the football? He was not. Okay. And was Tim Tebow widely considered one of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history? And did he also pass for a lot of yards and touchdowns? That is correct. And why did he be able to do that? Because he was a he was a, a viable running threat that had a system that set him up for success with good trenches and guys that could run the ball and make yardage after catch. And that's exactly how we are ultimately designed. So we know that Tyler Buckner is at the very least a more superior passer than Tim Tebow was. Tim Tebow had the size on him as compared to Buckner, but Buckner has incredible talent when it comes to running the football, and he has a lot of talent around him. So if we can have you know, early down success running the ball, you know, making it second and one, second and two, and just absolutely pulverizing them on defense, they have to come and stack the boxes, and then with a basically better throwing Tim Tebow, you know, leaving out those defensive backs that have struggled out on an island, it's just going to potentially open up just wide open throws downfield. And you think about with a guy with Braden Lindsay's speed, his opportunity, if they can catch him over the top, he gone. So I, I, that's why people keep freaking out saying like Notre Dame is so screwed in this game. And I keep thinking like, I'm seeing the world totally different. Notre Dame shows up in the big games and in the regular season to be obviously I will obviously had to amend my statement there you know Georgia two times we beat them I, I, we we lost them in, in very close games we beat uh, back in 2012 Oklahoma on the road they were what top five team weren't they when Manti Teo had that that interception like we've we have you know we beat Clemson obviously we we show up to the regular season games I think just the X's and O's actually work in our favor in this one instance so it's ultimately going to depend on our defensive backs to hold back an elite passing game. But if we can on offense execute in the appropriate way, we might not even have to have our defensive backs be worried because we might be up, you know, two, three scores and we can just sit everybody back and avoid giving up the big shot at that point. It's crazy. And uh, we, we forget Jim Knowles didn't coach against the Irish. He already left for Ohio State at that point. Uh, so, really, it wasn't Knowles coaching there. So, uh, everyone's saying, oh, Jim Knowles already beat Notre Dame. Blah, 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 blah. I live in Columbus. Like, no, <laughs> he didn't. Uh, but the other thing, uh, he does have a 4-2-5 defensive alignment. Uh, and really, what that's saying to me is that the middle of the field is going to be wide the fuck open for Bauman and Mayer to run those little RPOs, or you can even get Bauman and Mayer in a two tight end set, have them pick the middle of the field and get a little underneath route to one of your, one of the fastest men on campus. Uh, not Bryce McPherson, but you know, uh, Lindsay. And and with that, you, you get a ball underneath ball to Lindsay with two pick routes by tight ends. Yeah. You might have a four, four, two up front and five defensive backs, but get underneath, get us in space, get Tyree in space. Good night. That's all I'm going to say there. Like, 
the, the defensive alignment doesn't scare me. Run a nickel defense. Good for you. Well, I mean, that's what Notre Dame has been in the last, you know, six years or so is the four two five with the rover. They're they call it the bullet, I think, but they're basically taking the same the same defense Notre Dame has. But with Marcus Freeman, we saw a little more three three five stack and um previously under, you know, our, our Lee and and uh, Elko, it was more pure four two five as a base. So I think Notre Dame it'll be interesting to see what Al Golden does. Actually, we're not even we're not even really sure what to expect there. Um I will say that I think Notre Dame's going to move the ball. I think Notre Dame's going to score a lot of points. I think Tyler Buckner's going to keep drives alive. I think the running backs in space are going to be a problem. And I think uh, Michael Mayer's going to be a problem. And if you don't double him, he's going to torch you. And when you do double him, you're leaving someone else open. So uh, Notre Dame's offense, to me, actually, it is the X factor because they have to move the ball and they have to score points. Otherwise, this game's not going to go well. But if they do, which I think they will, this game's going to be close, and depending on how the Notre Dame defense can hold C.J. Stroud, uh, a victory is certainly within sight. It's certainly possible. Um, we saw what happened last year with the Michigan game, and this is what I don't get with Ohio State fans. Like, you guys understand Michigan going into the playoff was ranked third or fourth, and Notre Dame was ranked fifth last year. Like, Michigan's not better than Notre Dame. They're, this was a, It's a very similar caliber team that beat you last year. We were better than Oregon, who beat you last year. Why aren't you afraid of Notre Dame, who is just as good as those two teams? will dominate you in the trenches like those two teams did. Uh, albeit Michigan's offensive line was really, really good last year that they won the Joe Moore Award. But defensively, too, Notre Dame's going to be as good as Michigan was last year. I don't. I, I think Ohio State's got to be a little more worried. And when you see as, you know, Steve, you mentioned the defensive backs being a big part of the, the stopping the pass game. Of course, that's correct. But don't even give him the chance. Just whip them on the defensive line. You don't give him a chance to throw the ball. You don't give Henderson a chance to really get into space. I You don't need to stop them. You don't need to shut down Ohio State's defense. I don't think you can do that. I think this offense is too good. But if you can hold them to, like I said, under 35 points, I think you win the ball game. But you have to move the ball offensively. So that's kind of how I see this game playing out is can Buckner keep the game alive? Can he, can he keep plays alive? Can he score touchdowns when he needs to? Can Notre Dame convert touchdowns instead of field goals? I think those are going to be the big questions, but 17 and a half points, I think you're crazy. Could I see Ohio State covering? For sure. If Notre Dame's offense doesn't show up, that could be a blowout. I can also see Notre Dame blowing out Ohio State. So 17 and a half points is pretty crazy, and I'm starting to get offended with that. What do you guys think? Make your prediction, P. Let's hear it, pal. I'm staying away from this game uh, just because I have a lot of bets elsewhere. Uh but for my prediction for this game, do you guys want to do the other college football games first so you guys can think of your Notre Dame predictions? Because we still got that segment to get into. My prediction will be to be named later. All right, then. The famous uh, pick em game, week one. We don't do week zero here. This is a week one only show. Uh, I'm 0-4 in week zero pits. Just one. Wow. It's, thankfully for you, it, it, it doesn't count. Uh, but here we are. We do this every year. We try to pick games against each other um, and see who's got the best score at the end of the year. So, um, P, do you want to do you want to lead this section or do you want me to carry through? I believe you wrote the notes down. So uh, yep. you got it, Dylan. 
All right. So these odds are just kind of depends on your bookie. So just keep that in mind. Uh, first game we're picking the backyard brawl, I think is what it's called. It's one of the better rivalries in college football. It's a shame we don't get it every year. West Virginia is playing Pitt. The game's listed at Pitt. I should have double checked if that was a neutral game because that very well it could be. What do you guys think there? Are you are you Mountaineers or are you Panthers? It's the battle of two USC quarterbacks who both suck. Uh, it, it's a game. It is a football game on a Thursday. Uh, I'm on the Panthers uh, minus seven. I got them at. Uh, they're just much better than West Virginia. Uh, they're playing Heinz Field. Uh, so I no, they are not. They're not. That's what my book has. Oh, they've changed their name. It's called the Acrisure Stadium, but I guess They're, that was formerly known as Heinz Field. Yes, correct. So wow, look at us. So it is a I'm, so it is a pit home game. I like pit to cover cover seven. And I like the under as well. So uh, do with that what you will. Yep, I think Pitt's gonna win this one as well. I uh, think the game's gonna be a lot closer than people think. I would take West Virginia on the spread, but I am also gonna say Pitt. I just I kind of like Pitt. I know we hate. We hate Narduzzi because he's a little bitch. But, like, Pitt's kind of a rival. Pitt's annoying to all the other Big Ten schools like we are. So I, I like it. I'll take Pitt. And West Virginia just just not not my culture, man. What would <laughs> West Virginia of Canada be? But, uh, yeah, they're, they're Canadian, but, yeah, you know. Well, it depends on how you perceive West Virginia, I guess. Oh, okay. Well, next topic. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't we don't want to offend any any Notre Dame fans living across the country. You could, you could have just said none of it, and we we've been on our way. <laughs> well, you know, if you're basing off of stereotypes, you got to get your stereotypes aligned so you can make the right analogy. Right, but uh, let's head into the second game: Cincinnati at Arkansas. Arkansas is a six and a half point favorite at home. What do you think? Uh, Arkansas fans scare me more than any other fan base in the country. Uh, so I just want that point out there. I, I do like them a lot. I don't think Cincinnati has what it takes this year. Uh, so the spread, whatever. I would take Arkansas money line uh, straight up. Yeah, I, I think people thinking taking Cincy here are crazy. They just lost too much talent you know, for a mid-tier team at the end of the day. So Arkansas is going to take this at home. <clears throat> I've got Cincinnati money line and spread. Crazy. I, be- I believe in a Luke Fickle coached Cincinnati team. I think they did lose a lot of talent, but I think that's a pretty good ball club. Ball, ball club. They're, they're recruited well. They're developed well. Arkansas may have been a bit of a flash in the pan. I don't know. I'm I'm sticking my neck out here because I don't want to take a bunch of favorites to win games. I kind of want something niche out there. And college football is the sport of upsets, so I'm taking Cincinnati. That is Dylan who said that. Arkansas fans, Dylan. <laughs> Come get me. Um, third, this is an interesting matchup and one I we don't even have a line for, which goes to show you what Vegas thinks of these teams. But Oregon is going to... Uh, Georgia to play the Bulldogs. I'll also check if that's a neutral site game. I hate how many neutral site games are in week one. Play uh, in your own it, stadium. It is. It's a Chick-fil-A kickoff, Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, so it's in Atlanta. So it, it, it is a neutral site game in Atlanta. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, wow. What a what a fair neutral site game that is. Um, <laughs> who are you guys taking there? 
Origin 17 and a half point uh, Dobbs, uh, from what I can see on the Action Network, no free ads. Uh, I just like, I want to say I like Georgia too much. I, I can't trust a plus 590 money line uh, dog here, so I'm going to take Georgia. Yeah, I just, I, I'm not trusting Oregon to uh, to be it, you know. I just feel like if you go up and down each roster, I think Georgia's going to have a fall off this year. I think they're exposed to probably go 10-2 and two is my guess. Uh, but I think that they are going to pull it off against Oregon just because I don't respect the Pac-12. Well, if we all recall, we none of us gave us a shot for Oregon to beat Ohio State last year. But I'm not going to be crazy. Georgia's going to win this game. I think Oregon covers. I think Stetson Bennett is uh, not the most talented quarterback in the world. So I could see potential for an upset, but I got to go Georgia. I think you just have to. They're the defending champions, right? Yep. All right, this game's very intriguing as well. You have a ranked Utah going to the Swamp to play the Florida Gators. They're, Utah is three-point favorites on the road. Give me the Utes. I got them at minus two because uh, I bet it early on, but give me the Utes every way and six ways from Sunday. Yeah, I have to be boring here, and I have to take the favorite in Utah. Um I just think they're they've really built up a, a very impressive team and program over the last uh, five years or so. I think that Florida is going to be very surprising, though. I think this is probably a one possession game might even come down to the final possession. So th- this will be a hell of a lot closer than people expect, which I mean, it is only a minus three game. But yeah, I think this is you know definitely upset alert for Utah. But I do think they they pull it out. This is also a big game for Vegas, for anyone who cares. Uh, 75% of the uh, bets are on Utah. So I'm not sure where the money's at right now, but 75% of the bets are on uh, the Utes. Uh, it's a, I'm going to go Utah, but I could see any scoreline working. You could tell me the Gators blew them out, and I'd be like, yep. You could tell me Utah blew them out, and I'd be like, yes. I, I don't know. That That's going to be such a weird game. Utah's so talented. They gave Ohio State a great run for their money last year, but it's the Pac-12. Can you trust any of these teams to perform the next season? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just hesitant there because this is a road game in SEC country. I'll take the Utah Utes, but I'm going to be very cautious like Steve is on it. So let's wrap it up. Uh, I'm sure this was chosen deliberately. The Florida State Seminoles are playing at, at least I believe it's at, the LSU Tigers, led by first-year head coach Brian Kelly. What do you guys think there? Uh, they're playing at the Superdome. Uh, and as someone who uh, was the closest to the Superdome in the recent weeks, uh, I'm taking the Florida State uh, Seminoles, the undefeated Florida State Seminoles. My, Are they my back? Dad. Are they back? They'll be 2-0 on, on Monday. But, like, Brian Kelly versus Florida State in a week one game. We've seen this before, and LSU doesn't have a kicker. They have a punter. Their best player on the team is the punter. So, <laughs> Mitch, you're, Jay. Such a, you're such a troll. Florida um, State. I'm taking Florida State. I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to pull it off because just if I know, I just think it's going to be an unmitigated disaster, and I think we're going to have the final laugh out of this whole whole thing is my prediction. And I think uh, that whole journey starts this upcoming weekend. Jay Bramble's going to hit the top of the Superdome with a punt. <laughs> Look, I know 
LSU was bad last year, but are we forgetting what the Florida State Seminoles have been for the last half decade? I just I can't go there with you guys. I'm taking LSU. They just got more talent. Coach Kelly, for all his faults, can can beat those teams. I'm taking I'm taking the Tigers. Sad. One one last thing, Dylan. They did just play. Forty-seven to seven, they beat Duquesne. Forty-seven to seven. Would you like to know a little bit about that game? No, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Florida State went in there, and they took this FCS school and just tried everything that they did. They didn't throw the whole book at them, but they threw enough of a book to confuse Brian Kelly. Let me give you some stats, because I'm a stat guy now. I'm taking your place. (laughs) Starting quarterback, Jordan Travis, 11 for 15, 207 yards. One rushing touchdown. Their backups, two of six, 15 yards, one of one for 10 yards. Their running backs, 14 rushes, 127 yards, two touchdowns. Each of these Nets people all got one touchdown, 11 yard, eleven rushes for 105, 13 rushes for 101, nine rushes for 55, four rushes for 11. But P-Wagon, why are you saying all this? Good question, you ask. They gave them tape on their run game. They did not expose the pass game. Brian Kelly is going to get the ball thrown all over him in the dome, and they're going to lose by 14. That would be magnificent if that happened. Um, didn't even know the stat line of a private Catholic Pittsburgh school that's like Division Three playing up against Florida State, but screw it, we ball. Um, Nobody yeah, no, I, I just this in-depth level of content out there, folks. Rate, of review, five stars, subscribe. Nothing. <laughs> no. I, I just, I, I really think that Kelly is going to be a disaster. So, uh, I guess we should now move on to our our big, you know, big predictions. Ohio State versus Notre Dame. It's going to be Saturday night, Labor Day weekend. It's going to be on NBC, uh, ABC, 7:30 p.m. Dylan, what are you seeing? What's your prediction, buddy? Well, this is the one game that we're expected to lose. But as the listeners of this show know, we are the propagandist optimist machine over here. Us collectively over three years have picked against Notre Dame once. And it was me against Alabama and Ohio state ain't Alabama, baby. Notre Dame 38, Ohio state 31 go Irish. Okay. Just really quickly. I have to say, I agree with you, and, and we screwed up because I definitely should have gone first, like we traditionally do, because I almost have the same exact score. I have uh, Notre Dame is going to win this game 38-24. to 24. Uh, it, it's, it's just it's time. It is time for this to happen. I think it's going to, and I think we're going to control the ground. We're going to control the line of scrimmage. We're going to control this game. And, uh, and yeah, I, I just think magic is in the air in South Bend. And uh, it's a, a what though the odds be great or small, and old Notre Dame will win overall. I mean, that's you, you have to come into every late August just thinking that we're gonna do it. I just I see that there's a path. I just it people I think are way too high on Ohio State, and I think that there's there's a, a crack in the armor, and I think that we we're just fitting right into that exact crack. I think it's just gonna be you know Arya versus the uh, the Night King, so to speak. If you're <laughs> a Game of Thrones fan, so 38. Points for the Fighting Irish as they upset the uh, trash bags in the big house. 
T, what are you thinking? The big house is Michigan, so I'd like that double slant there. Uh, there Whatever. Um, it's from a, a crappy conference that's com- completely overrated with an overrated team. Big house, big horseshoe, shoe, whoever the hell cares. I don't care about their ugly-ass stadium built in 1910. The total for this game is 58 points. The total will go over. Yes. Notre Dame. For sure. Notre Dame will win. 59. Nothing. (laughs) Irish on top. Irish forever. Go Irish. When when this is tweeted out, like the podcast, can you please include that line in the tweet? Yes. (laughs) What a what a classic, classic P Wagon move. Boys, good seeing you. Listeners at home. Thanks for listening. It's great to have you at Four Horsemen Pod or at Horseman Pod on Twitter. <clears throat> um, you know where to find us. Like, five star review, subscribe. Tell your friend. Tell your friend's friend. Show it to your dog. That's it. Go Irish, yep. baby. Go Irish. Go Irish. Beat the mouth breathers. <laughs>